Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with Joe Hilliard and Carlos Cooper. And guys, we have a, a film that I think is going to take a little bit of energy to chew on okay. here. I, th- I think we're going to have some work for ourselves. Uh, but whenever we have a task like that ahead of us, I like to make sure that I have some uh, liquid to, to help me along with that journey. You don't want to chew without something refreshing to wash it down. That's right. Yeah. That's what you bring us. Well, so th- this is uh, a beer from the great state of Maine. We, we, a recurring theme recently on the podcast. The summer always brings a lot of Maine beers. I spend some time in Maine. This is one that I brought back with me that I thought would tie in well with the film we're going to talk about because it is called Lore, uh, L-O-R-E, making uh, reference to you know the idea of these stories that are sort of ageless, timeless stories of the past that tell us how the world works, why it works, those narratives that explain all the world around us. Um, and we'll understand why that connects with the movie in just a moment. But for Battery Steel, that means that that idea unlocks in them this Hellas Bavarian-style lager, which is 5% alcohol by volume. Um, David, I like this, a good David, lager. this beer has you all over it. <laughs> this beer was made for you, Hellas, Bavarian... <laughs> You know me, I, I'm a crispy boy. Yeah, I mean, I, facts, I, I've been facts. outed uh, many a time, and I'm sorry. That's just the life I live. And uh, I, I hope you guys are going to want to go on this carpet ride with me here. Uh, that, that, that may be even more stereotypical than I should be with the uh, references here, because I don't think the film is quite as indulgent as that. But nonetheless, th- this film that we're talking about this week, why would lore tie in with it? Well, we're talking about the new one from George Miller. We know him. We love him. It's our first time to actually discuss a George Miller What an film. eclectic oh. career, though. When you say George Miller, it's Dude. funny because you always... I mean, my mind goes to Mad Max, of right? And, and we will get does. to that in the latter half of I'm the episode. I'm a happy feet guy myself, but... Well, okay. <laughs> but that's the thing. Put it, those it, two films together, that franchise and that happy feet together... Something doesn't make sense. Throw in no. with that Witches of Eastwick. Yeah. A huge Hollywood hit back Lorenzo's in... Lorenzo's Oil. Lorenzo's Oil, a more serious drama that... Babe I Pig think, in the City? Come on. So when, And Babe too. When we left the theater, uh, I was, you know... Yeah, babe. I was talking to Kylie, and, you know, we were kind of digesting the film a little bit and talking about George Miller, because we had watched the movie we were going to talk about in the second half first, the night before, and I started reading off his filmography to her, and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, you know, he started with Mad Max. They showed a little bit of that in the pre-show at yeah. Alamo. And I was like, oh, then the sequel. And she was like, wait, wasn't there like three of those? Or wasn't there like a bunch of them? And I was like, well, then his third proper feature is Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. One of the Twilight Zone segments he directed. Right. But that was oh, like from every- the Twilight Zone movie. The plane yeah. one. The, the, the one with the. Oh, that was uh, George Miller. Yeah. I, God, I, but that's I like, consumed that film as a child. How I'm, many segments are there? From They're all from different directors, uh, right? Three so, or like, four. yeah. Basically yeah. Well, and that's one. the one that, you know, uh, sort of. The production was doomed. John Landis. Right. Landis uh, had the, the death on the set. Yeah, the helicopter and, uh, accident. Was sued and, like, under a right. cloud for many years. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, then. Then Witches of Eastwick, they showed the like they showed a little preview for that in the pre-show. You at saw Alamo you as went well. to Alamo, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Good pre-show, yeah. So that was cool. And Kylie and I saw that, and we were both just like, we gotta watch that movie ASAP. 
because uh, which is a Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, okay, some movie called Lorenzo's Oil in '92. I don't know what that is. And then, and then I was like, hold on to your fucking pants, there, little lady, because uh, <laughs> 1998, <laughs> Babe Pig in the City, and yeah. she was like, what? And I was like, 2006, Happy Feet, and she was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, in the 2011, Happy Feet too, and she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what was next? And I was like, 2015, Mad Max, which we had watched the night before, and she was like, you're fucking kidding. That's so weird. And I was like. Like, yeah, the man has range, and which we were already, you know, I don't want to get too far into it. Anyway, absolutely, uh, the man has range, and then yeah, it's been seven years since Fury Road. Yeah, and you know, there's been all this talk of this Furiosa prequel it's, coming. It seems like it's is it filming right now? now? It's filming right now. Yeah, yeah. but it's that's what is how long? Have, I mean, they've been talking about that since what 2018, Basically. maybe 17 yeah. or something, and it's finally kind of happening. But in the good, in good, the good. I. I expected that to be the next after Fury Road. Your beans. Um, but now we David, we've real got quick, years Carlos, this beer looks like a Bavarian lager. I mean, it is very nice crisp, and translucent. Very clean. Yeah. I'm yeah, it's soft yellow. Lo- lo- love it. Beautiful beer. I'm just going to read a film synopsis that I found on the internet. This film is long and winding, and I know that we'll kind of hit some other things when we get into our discussion. While attending a conference in Istanbul, Dr. Althea Binney, played by Tilda Swinton, happens to encounter a gin. Now, in case you didn't know that, it's a genie in a bottle, but from probably a different, like, ethnic folk. Well, folk it's, it's closer to the, the term, I think, that was actually used in the Middle East when mm-hmm. these stories were told, the gin. Yeah, she buys a keepsake little glass bottle, and when she opens it up or when it, at home at the hotel, Idris Elba pops out. You know, King Kong size, but then becomes more... <laughs> yes, very large initially. Yeah, becomes more uh, hu- humanoid. Uh, he offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Now, this presents two problems. First, she doubts that he's real. She's had some hallucinatory type things that have happened in the film prior to that. And second, because since she's a scholar of story and mythology, she knows all the cautionary tales of wishes gone wrong. The djinn pleads his case by telling her fantastical stories of his past. How did he get in this bottle? How did he get in the bottle prior to that, etc.? Eventually, she's beguiled and makes a wish that surprises them both. Now, before we dive in... (laughs) People also search for, because I did this on my phone, uh-huh. Wishmaster, Wishmaster of the Prophecy, Wishmaster 3. So uh, something about this and Wishmaster, a film I don't think I've seen. I haven't either, but it's it was all over the Alamo pre-show. That's true. We'll okay. get into your godforsaken film going experience later but okay uh okay. I, it sounds like david and i it sounds like david and i went to alamo it sounds yes. like you guys and went so, to a good movie theater and, we did. and so we did there was a lot of Wishmaster in the lead that's up true to clips of it but i had never well, seen yeah, it clips film. of it yeah. seven is that a gin uh, seven wishmaster is that why we're talking I, yeah about I, think it? so. well, I, I think it's wishmaster I, well i think it's based okay. on it's a i think it's a westernized version of that trope because like in the pre-show, there's like the a brief origin of Jin. Yeah, that they kept like they were talking about the historical stuff behind it, like the early and then stories. Yeah, that when the three wishes trope came right, into existence, the particular story where that was first introduced, the Western yeah. uh, kind of fixation on the bottle thing, which isn't as big a part of it historically right. as we've made it, you know, stuff like that, and so it starts showing depictions of those 
westernized interpretations of the of the lore in right. film. Uh-huh. Seventh Voyage of Sinbad being one that they showed a lot of footage from. Uh, I think it's like the King of Baghdad or something of Thief Baghdad. Of Baghdad. Well, Thief the, of the, Baghdad, the 1940. That was one and that has a pretty uh, prominent yeah. uh, carpet chase. Yeah. <laughs> the, the climax of all of these, I assume, is Will Smith starring as Aladdin. All right, continue. Yes. No, that's thousands of years of mythology had led up to that moment. Right. Uh, not not a good movie, by the way. It, it, the, all of which the, one? The Aladdin remake. Oh, all of the films it. that you listed earlier uh, in George Miller's canon certainly come with an increasingly, as he goes along, visual style and ability to put visuals on the screen. Forget the story for a little bit. Mm. His films, especially the one we're going to talk about in the second half, have a visual thumbprint of his all over them this film i think certainly has that beautiful film to look at but mm-hmm. i'm curious about well, he's you definitely guys. a kind of maximalist he he, he doesn't uh shy Mad away maximalist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's where i was going uh it, you know for sure he's his style is not restraint his mm-hmm. style is i'm gonna push this as far as i can and in certain ways um but also though, for, but also pretty i mean it's pretty visually yeah, appealing yeah. sure i was curious well i mean th- th- some of it is pretty horrific and ter- like the post-apocalyptic david landscape. you just want to argue today and i'm cool with it. <laughs> i'm curious about the story and the narrative of this film that's really right. where i want to see where you guys what you guys thought about it okay i'll start uh what, what as I was watching this movie, I had a thought to myself. I was like, "This is the longest first act of a film I've ever seen." And then I realized that it wasn't the first act of the film. It's this the film. is the film, <laughs> right? Because and and you know, Kylie and I were discussing this a lot on the way home. Like we kind of kept coming back to this point of like our our familiarity with and preconceived notions of this particular trope, the genie thing, all of that led us into believing, or we had certain expectations of what the movie was going to be. Three wishes, the consequences of each. That it was not. It wasn't really about what we thought it was going to be about. it It was a meta fictional film about genie myth and storytelling it was wanting storytelling, to be I'm, yeah and and uh you know wanting to be oh what that, i mean i think that's what it was aiming for <laughs> well but you're no so- i think and i think it achieves it whether okay. or not that's entertaining i guess is where i i you know or whether it draws me in i think okay. this is a brilliant sort of intellectual exercise of a film um, I think it's a I think it's a kind of puzzle film that you don't maybe fully appreciate as you're first watching it, which I, I feel like I'm pumping it up to a point that I don't even mean to. But but I guess what <laughs> I'm getting at is I respect this film on a storytelling level because he's really trying to be, you know, sort of self-critical and, and looking at what it means to tell stories and what we get as, out of them. But and as what Carlos the- alludes to, and I think I agree with where he was going, he throws three-act structure and he throws conventional American film-going narrative out the window. It's a long and winding conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that there is a three-act structure. Yeah. I just think that the first <laughs> act is like an hour and 20 minutes long. Or maybe an hour, about an hour long, not that long. The first act is like an hour long, and then the second act is 
like a half an hour, but then, and then the third act is like. But 10 I minutes. think I think where things get maybe you get skewed is where if you start thinking about the stories that get told as being almost little like short films, short narratives right. unto themselves inserted yeah. throughout. That first act ends up feeling like this kind of bookended thing that could almost stand on its own where it's just the story of these yeah. encounters along the way as they're telling them. And then like you follow that up with, well, what does their relationship lead to after they've had this experience right. of telling these stories? And, and the synopsis that I read was pretty good in the sense, I mean, I Google good shit. No, the, <laughs> the synopsis that I read happened to be good in that. Yeah. It, oh, I, I, I'm not <laughs> talking to you, Google. Leave me alone. Oh man, it's still going. She just won't Do not shut say up. Google around. I that know phone. it's all locked. The phone's locked down, but she just won't be quiet. Um, he, the story, the film shows us two or three instances where he has been unlocked from the bottle and yeah. gives the three wishes. Well, it shows him yeah. leading up to his experience even being put in the bottle for the first time. Right. Yeah, yeah right. And so then the when subsequent, Tilda yeah. Swinton finds the bottle and opens him and releases him, as the synopsis that I read says, because she's an expert in this field, yeah. The film isn't about the wishes, as you said, Carlos, no. as you were expecting. It's about him having to convince her that making the three wishes is important. And let me show you the catastrophes of the previous times that I've offered this, and it wasn't right. done well. How it's yeah. been ju- as much of a burden so for him to So we're going back in time, hundreds of years, yeah. to see... 3,000 years. Yeah. To see the stories of how he got where he was. Yeah. And and there's some gorgeous visuals and there's some yeah. gorgeous cinematography and there's some interesting narrative there. This is I look I'll say I really like this movie. Huh? Wow. Okay. And I think this is a movie that is going to go on to be incredibly underrated because of how unconventional. You don't it think is. it's one that's reputation would build over time uh, as I, people I think come that, to appreciate David. it more? I I think it's kind of flopping now, but I think it might be one that it's a grower, not a shower. It's going to be like <laughs> well, years I, from now. I, I I think it's one that... We'll call this film a gurney. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, busting your balls. The, yeah, well, no, I know that, but I, well, I didn't so now think we were going that low. I, I so took now, it pretty low, and then you just yanked it. Now I'm having That's a hard time regaining to show. my concentration. No, but your point uh, is you think it's going to be underrated perpetually. I'm just saying that I think it might grow. It, I, well, it might no, turn into... I, I agree and disagree with you all at the same time, because I do think that... I think it will gain an esteem, but only among a very small faction of movie watchers. I don't think that this is a movie that is ever going to this get is, to that wide, like, universal it's not a Shawshank kind of... This is closer to Peter Greenaway than it is Frank Darabont. This is a film where... You are just making stuff up all the time. I what are you talking God. about? You did it last episode. You're doing it again. <laughs> These are, I just named two very, I mean, yes. Frank Darabont. We just, I don't know who that is. I don't know who those people are. Shawshank Redemption Flop. Yeah, it, was it a, is now the number one film on IMDb or close to. Okay. Because people But I'm saying Peter it. Greenaway is Cook the Thief, the Wife, and His Love. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, so like he's more like, I think Miller in this film is doing something more like an art film director typically typically does but with a big budget and a wide release that's the conundrum of this movie but look we've i mean we've seen that before especially with this studio it's an a24 film right yeah Uh, i think it is no no actually it's not it's not it's not i'm sorry what is it then I thought that because the poster up. for this looks very similar to the poster for Everything Everywhere All The poster is it's horrible film nation. I, I like the poster. You're right, Film um, Nation. But A24 did this early, early on in its history with Tusk. 
it was um, Tusk Two filming filming soon. I hope so. That's a real thing. Uh, thank God, finally. Uh, but and with Clerks Tusk Three is out, right? Is it's getting three? close. Yeah, um, they're doing the tour, and it has a Fathom Events screening in mid September. Okay, but with Tusk, not the big budget that George Miller has, mm-hmm. albeit, but premiered on like fifteen or twelve hundred screens. That movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck right. would you ever show that you movie on that, that many was screens? Connect, right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's an insane, twisted, deranged film. When that, it, when it, I, that I went and saw opening weekend with one other person in the theater that I did not know. At like you, you know, and that was that was when you hear Kevin Smith talk about that movie. That's everyone's story that he talked to that liked that movie that went and saw it opening weekend. They're like, yeah, it was me and two other people at mm-hmm. seven thirty on a Friday night or a Saturday night, right? Yeah. So. We've seen stuff like that happen before, but again, Shawshank. Ev- now every like film people just getting into like you know digging deeper in movies or like normies love Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, it's on TNT on a Saturday afternoon. Every Saturday, afternoon. everyone loves it. You Sandwich act- between Law and Order episodes. I mean, yeah. how how comfort food is that? You can walk out on the street. Three out of every ten people is going to tell you it's their number one favorite movie. Right. And it, and like you said, it didn't do well at first. That is not going to happen to this movie. The average audience is never going to yeah. find this movie and be like, "What an amazing film!" They're going to be like, "Wait, what was the point of that?" Like, I was expecting to hear people in my theater when we were walking out go, "What the fuck was that?" Or like, yeah. "That was such a waste of time." Or you know, but it's because it's about what it's about is storytelling itself, right? Yeah. And that's the whole thing about it is like what stories can do to us, how stories can help us understand our lives and other people's lives, how we can use stories to like process trauma and grief. Because, I mean, if you think about it, the story that she tells about the djinn is really just um, like an allegory for what happened with her first husband, Jack. Mm. Agreed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, agreed. which which when I said that to Kylie, she was like, so you don't think the djinn was ever there? And I was like, no. No. That's not what I'm, that A, that's not what I'm saying. B, I have no interest in that like rabbit hole. Like I I don't care about that. I think the djinn was never there. Uh, Not that I have a huge interest in the rabbit hole. It's just kind of the conclusion that I made is that she is an isolationist. So she created the thing that that got her the true love that she would finally find Mm -hmm. Uh, after her real husband they broke up or whatever happened. Yeah, right. Because, because right, didn't she see him walking yeah. happily with another woman yes. later in life? Um, the twist for me was what happened when she was giving that speech and passed out? Was she seeing hallucinations? She so therefore we're to see someone... Imagine that, that Jin is an hallucination as well because she's prone to that? Well, she... So it's interesting because the person that she's seeing is part of Sheba's like council of people when okay. King Solomon comes to woo her. He's like part mm-hmm. of that like corral yeah. of people that are standing this up This is with a story her. that the Jin told her of his previous imprisonment in a bottle and yeah. how it happened. Right? Yeah, and she's like, no, Sheba went to Solomon and he was like, I was there. See, I liked so (laughs) many parts of this. I liked the story of when he fell in love with the girl that was the female version of Leonardo da Vinci. I enjoyed those visuals. I I, I liked... Is that Zephyr? I think the character... I I don't remember her name. I liked the story of the... Uh, Sultan's two sons, one of them placed into a fur-lined padded room filled with obese women because that was his jam. Yeah. You know, I I, I just thought it was visually fascinating. Yeah. And beautifully shot, 
But the story overall did not keep my attention. So, and, and I wonder if a second viewing is all that I need to really get on board with this thing. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to feel like... So I like this film. I like this film for a lot of reasons, and we've and we've discussed a number of them in terms of its approach to story. That it's about storytelling. That it's it it very much is this sort of like what role do they play in our lives? Is she doing that for herself right here, or are we seeing something more supernatural? Do we need the supernatural? What happens to the supernatural in this day and age? Right? What is it that pushes the jinn out of this? Is that he's so uh, you know uh, sort of. Uh, put upon by cellular uh, signals and technology that he can't live in this environment. You know, and that's the whole premise of the talk she's giving at the beginning of the film that she gets interrupted during is that, you know, these myths have no place this day and age because we can explain these things much better through science and we don't need to be relying on gin. And yet here she is kind of using it as a tool and kind of reinforcing the power of those stories to actually do something that science can't do necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, so thought-provoking. That, but in terms of how this film feels when I was watching it, that big extended, what you were saying is like, feels like a really long first act, Carlos. What Joe, you were saying feels like, you know, a little different to you. But either way, it's a herky-jerky kind of weird. And it's very much anchored in that apartment or the the uh, hotel room. Very claustrophobic in this weird way that I kept feeling like I was going back to them. There was almost something like theatrical or stage bound about these two great actors having this like very deep. It was like a my dinner with Andre, yeah, yeah, with like this stuff stuffed into it, yeah, where I you're like, and it, so it's I don't a, know. It's if an the, intellectual conversation, right, film. right with a bunch of stunning visuals. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know if I can do that shifting back and forth between that and then these like more sort of traditional genie-esque or, you know, gin mythology-esque stories about his origins and how he got there. It's it's fascinating. I mean, I will watch it again. It, this is... And what's impressive, you were, is, you know, exactly what you were lamenting. Why would they roll it out on this many screens? It doesn't make sense. But it's kind of. I'm glad they did. (laughs) But on some level, I'm like, I'm glad at least somebody's trying to take shots like this occasionally and put something out there that's like, this is different than anything else you're going to see at the multiplex. I mean, maybe the closest you're going to get is uh, everything everywhere all at once, you know, like where you have the. You know that kind of uh, approach, but I mean, there's nothing straight ahead about that movie. But it is in comparison to this a more straight ahead action movie because at least it right. does. It, have it gives you those the fight bites. scenes yes. and the stuff. You're right. Going out, whereas You're right. this one's a lot of. I, I mean, mean, this has a couple chases and a couple, but they're they're fairly modest action. The film, especially is large, for Miller, largely yeah. absent of humor. I also know you, you're right. Very dry. Their conversations and where they do have humor, it's very intellectual humor, yeah. and it's not like. Bust a gut laughter. It's right. huh. I did laugh. Out, I did. Out, <laughs> I did laugh out loud a couple times, and I, I was one of the few people in the theater that was. I wish I could remember what I was laughing at, but it was. It was more towards the end after she makes the wish. Um, but then that—that's such another interesting part of it too—is just that, like you know, there are certain things that, like, I, well, it's. I mean, it's this kind of commentary over like what the wishing is, like trying to control the uncontrollable, your heart's desire, and how like the constant seeking for like more than what we have is like no matter how 
like informed you are, no matter how you how aware you are There's of how it can go be, wrong. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is a an act of folly. It's always going to blow up in your face. And like, and then, and then there's all this stuff about, I don't know, there's just, there's just, a, there's so much like yeah. happening in it yeah, that, you know, uh, I just, I don't know, I just find Well, and that stuff intriguing. is there with any genie or gin story and, and, you know, it's baked into it. But this is a film that like puts it on display and talks about it openly and, and forces you as a viewer to think about it in a more you know, overt way than you typically do with well, that. Well, it's like, it's like how Cabin in the Woods, like, all those people know the tropes of the horror right. films and yep. what not to do. Or the and Scream they, movies. And they, yeah, and Scream. They yeah. try to make the right decisions at every turn and they still kind of end up in the same spot. Right. Uh, something, you know, about the inevitable or whatever. There was something that y'all were talking about earlier about Idris Elba's character that, like, made me think of something that I just, I couldn't, and I'm drawing a blank on something about mm. him and, like, otherness i don't remember uh but i can't help you i kind of disagree with you two though is that i i think that the kind of going back and forth from the fantastical period stuff to the hotel room it keeps a nice pace to the movie for me i didn't didn't say otherwise well you said it you were losing interest in it and i kept i was really dialed in the whole time because I was like, well, what? It, where is this going? What is going to happen? Like, what is going to be the culmination of all of these stories? Yeah. And then, you know, there's the, when you see Sheba kind of gulp and then when you see her do it in the hotel room and you're like, okay, she's like, she's yeah. kind of locked into this guy now. You know? Right, and like, she did something different than the, the, the second story where she said, I wish I'd never seen you before mm-hmm. and then yeah. she never had. I, I wish I couldn't remember you, whatever it was. I think Tilda Swinton's character was, I don't want this feeling to go away. Intellectual conversation, storytelling analysis, because that's what I do for a living. Uh Uh, And then a a very, very handsome man around. And she says, okay, then I wish that you... What was the exact wish? I wish that you love me as much as... As I love you. Yeah, or as much... I wish that you would basically be dedicated to me like you were the previous female. And um, the coda at the end, her in the park, and she sees him again. I mean, it, there was no big upwelling of emotion because it had all come together. It was just kind of like, and then he kept like fading to black over yeah, and over he did, he did and over. And that, I kept thinking, that was odd. Is this a is is credits? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally, he did it again three years later, and then I was ready to get out of the theater that I was in. And I can't wait to tell you that story. <laughs> I did. Which I, I will do it after hours. So. I definitely did take note of the consistent fade to black. Yeah. yeah. I found I found strange. It, there, there are a few in uh, the film we're going to talk about in the second half, too. I, uh, I noticed watching it after... 3, You're right, but in this one, not not to the extent, not the, to the extent. In this well, one, they're it, but they're really close together. In this one, is the sure, thing. sure. Like and, it's and in the last do, like fifteen minutes, and they do kind of come at points where you feel like, oh, somebody could just cut off here and decide. Could, okay, yeah, this, this could is, be the end. This is the final yeah. statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think any of those points would have been kind of a bummer. Yeah, if that was the end. But, you know, yeah, I yeah. So I mean, I, I like this film a lot with some qualifiers and saying only that. This isn't a film that's going to draw you in based on loving these characters. This is a film that's an intellectual exercise. It's going to like force you to think about storytelling and what. And if you want to go on that trip, awesome, and you should. 
But if you're not somebody who likes it, then you're just gonna. There's nothing there for you. It's not an action film. It's not a. Uh, it's not really a genie film. It's a film about genie films. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I. I was very surprised by it, and. Well, I was. We did have. A, I mean, you know, Kylie and I on the way home, the whole way home, and we do not live close to the theater. We spent like really digging into it, and then even we today at lunch we got back into it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good film, and it's one that yeah I think that if you are watching it with people that have a similar passion for films and storytelling that you do, there is a very robust discussion to be had about the ideas presented herein. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend it, and it is fantastic. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'd recommend it because the, the listeners to our podcast are going to need to fill out the George Miller canon, right? And they're also, I mean, there's a lot of intellectual so, kind of content here. Make sure you've seen the Happy Feet films before this one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, spoilers. Because it's there's integral. Some, they're, they're foundational. Yeah. Bizarre decision. Dancing In the Millerverse. Penguins. This right. is, yeah. you know, a big one, yeah. I well, can't wait if you for were the gonna, Happy Feet Mad Max crossover in the ooh. Furiosa prequel. If I gave you three wishes, would one of them be to enjoy the lore from Battery Steel Brewing again? How was oh, that? Pretty, uh, that was pretty good. Was all right. Right. Was okay. uh, was right. And a darn good beer because, I mean, you said it when I introduced the beer. This sounds like David Gurney in a can, mm. something like that. And I, okay, guilty as charged. This is nice and crispy. I, I love a good lager, especially this time of year. It's hot outside, really humid today because of the you know the rain and and the weather we've been having. But five percent, very light, very crisp, very refreshing. Thank you, Battery Steel. What, well, Joe? I know you're not a lager guy, so I'm always trying to expand my horizons and. Uh... Uh, those that have listened for a while know that I'm on a journey with the beer and movie sides of what we do here. I think that this would definitely make a firm, strict uh, adherence to the Run Heitzkaboot very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this is on the lighter side of the Belgian style, which can go from uh, all over the place. But that light, those lighter Belgian style lagers. Bavarian. Are, that's what I said. What'd you think I said? Belgian. No, I said Bavarian. Yeah, Are crisp and clean, and this one certainly is. Mm-hmm. Where did I get Belgian from? Cause that's because not what I B in Europe. Yeah. I don't. I, I feel like I do those occasionally, but they're I just wanted to clarify they're... because the point you were making was a good one. That this is a German. You know, yeah. the, the, this is Ron Heiskaboot. I got it right. right. Ron yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's, they speak German in Belgium, but this beer is certainly not. Bus- What's that? They speak German in Belgium. Uh, they speak Some, more right? French and and. I mean, don't they speak like three different languages? I think there's a lot of cross pollination that goes on in those I know European in capitals. For mm. anyway, go I'm on. Sorry, the beer. I, was, I was trying to help you. The beer for a lager. Yeah, I would definitely drink this. Love again. to hear it, Joe. Love All to hear right. it. Right. Well, well, I would definitely watch the movie that we're going to watch in the second half again, <laughs> even though I just watch it again. I'm putting too many cards on the table. When we return. And we're back. 
I was in College Station gonna, taking a kid to school. Sorry, Carlos. I'm going to can that for you all to use. Oh, oh thank please. You. Thank you. I was in College Station taking a kid to college, joining two other siblings at college when I went to the local grocery store to check out the beer selection. I like doing that because anytime I'm out of town, I know I'm going to see something that I'm not going to see locally. Well, this one caught my eye. It's from Martin House, which is already, they're already in our five timers club, but it's a box, right? They come in like a long, thin box where they stick two 12 ounce cans on top of one another in it. Fucking and it, stupid. It was called the Cast. <laughs> it, dude. I hate it. They made the $13 sale with this marketing, Carlos. So, no, the box is great. Put a bottle in it. Oh, I see. The <laughs> Castaway Painkiller is what it's called. And this is what caught my eye, boys. Right. Rum barrel aged. Okay, we've done that before. Sure. Imperial. Oh, sure. Yeah. Fruited. No problem. Sour. That was a two question mark on the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Rum barrel aged imperial fruited sour. And then right below that, 9.1% ABV. Orange, they say. Pineapple, they say. Coconut, they say. This box had so many words on it that I had to spend the $13.5 and a half dollars to get um, it. And it is, uh, as far as, again, like the, whether you think the box concept is is bunk on its own or not, the the art is pretty uh, eye-catching. Eye sure. It's, it, it pops off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Age six Definitely. months in fresh rum barrels. Whatever's on her head is giving me very dark helmet vibes. It's the uh, like the ski goggles, right? The, well, no, the the, other, the what the ski goggles are on. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, a helmet or something. A kraut helmet with feathers on it. This this beer has everything in it, which is why, and we'll open it up and maybe take a sniff, David. But which is why I think it pairs perfectly with uh, our second half film, because. This is a film that has a little bit of everything in it. I got to finish my uh, lore, David, before I can pour some of that <laughs> right in. Right on. Well, let me. So pour we're going to watch you do it. Fruited sour. Great Foley work. Thank you. Smell that, because I I can't wait to see what the hell we got here. Ooh, wow, wow. That is that is definitely a tropical uh, aroma that I'm getting with it. You said pineapple, coconut, like, pineapple, and orange. Yeah, the box. Oh, tells getting me. the coconut, getting the pineapple. Yeah, it's pina colada vibes. Holy smokes! If you smokes. like pina colada, well, rum makes that, sense. Did that song experience a resurgence? Not 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 quite as big as Running Up That Hill, but something like it. it I don't know. I'll be honest. I tried to play my it. Kids were singing. It I tried recently. to play it at a DJ gig over the weekend, which we'll talk about in the after hours. Patreon dot com slash Bring Podcast. Um, no, it sucks. <laughs> In After Hours, let's talk about how two people were going to cheat on their significant others and fell in love again when they decided that that cheating together was the thing. Is that what that song's about? Yeah. Yeah. Haven't haven't we all gone through that? I mean, I think that's an important way of rekindling your relationship is posting the uh, anonymous personal I was tired of my lady. I was tired (laughs) of my lady. All right. Let's get on with the proceedings. There's a beautiful, badass chick, woman. Beautiful female on this box. You, you gotta stop saying female. Well, I, chick is offensive. Yeah, no? chick is way Female's worse. Female's way worse. Both are bad. Because female has shitty, shitty dudes are now saying female instead of saying bitch. And oh, I, really? I, I didn't want to say bad Is that bitch, a thing? Oh, I'm not Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Oh, Jeez. these females? I don't know. Oh, I don't see. I don't, have, I don't talk to these oh, people. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's a, I would it's normally say this bad bitch. And I can't say bitch. So like, I say bitch all the time. 
but in that context, <laughs> yeah, Lauto Coyote. Okay, well, she's a bad bitch all the time. Oh yeah, but or I'll that, be like, oh, well, that's your significant the, the other. Gonna... The reclaimed uplifting bitch. See, but I, like Dave Chappelle would say, on the cover of this box is a bad bitch. But I don't want to say well, that. I'm not going to say anything Dave Chappelle says. But <laughs> but but the listeners comment. Say some of the things. Comment on wherever you're listening to this or whatever. Not those things. But one thing we don't but, like. There's a certain breed of misogynist that thinks that he's getting away with something by calling a woman a female instead of a bitch, but it's so uncoded, decoded, mm. that everyone knows exactly what your intention is whenever you I'm say sure that. I'm sure if and I heard taken it, I'd on know. A terrible I'm glad I avoid these people. Charlize Theron is in a bad Fury bitch. Road is a badass bitch. The man. baddest of bitches in this movie. And that's the film we're going to talk uh, about. It is what we're talking about. Quick synopsis. I've... An interesting thing about this movie is that it is the exact opposite of the movie we just discussed. <laughs> the movie we just discussed has a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of plot going on, not a lot of action, very subtle in a lot of ways, although still kind of has that maximal, maximalist visual element that kind of weaves throughout it. This one, not a lot of plot, hardly any dialogue, balls to the wall, tops to bots, action, action. front to back, blistering pace okay very very rarely gives you a yes a a room to breathe a few moments of character development uh, yeah i mean they develop through the action too oh yes they do so a very brief uh synopsis um in a post-apocalyptic wasteland a woman played by Charlize theron named uh imperator furiosa Mm -hmm. uh rebels against a tyrannical ruler, Immortan Joe, uh, in search for her <laughs> homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshiper, and a drifter named Max. Yep. The female prisoners being Immortan Joe's wives, uh, played by Zoe Kravitz, amongst others. Riley She's Keel. Uh, that's right. And uh, Rosie Huntington. Um, yeah. The- and then uh, Nicholas Holt, Right, that's his yep, name. Yeah, uh, plays Nux, who <laughs> a war is boy. a war boy, the psychotic worshiper in question. W- dreams of dying for a Morton Joe. Sure. His as do all war life, boys. As do all war boys. And at the very beginning of this movie, we see Furiosa driving the war rig. This is after some drama with Max, but driving the war rig to gas town to deliver supplies and what have you. And then veers off the path, goes rogue. A Morton Joe rallies up all his war boys and they start chasing after her. they throw up the flares to get help from gas town yeah. and the bullet farm. And it's a, the basically you have three war parties. You have three war parties chasing after this war rig, but the, the film you really could kind of bifurcate into two. You've got a chase and a race. There's a chase, they get to a certain point, they turn back around, and, and it's a it's race over. to get back to the Citadel. Yeah. Uh, almost everything that happens in this movie is real, right? So that's something that we well, should just get, we should just and, get yeah. off the top. Almost everything you see in this movie, some a, a human being did, and a camera caught it. The other thought there's some compositing yeah. to like make certain, especially deaths and things like that work, and some of the you know kind of keying out clouds in the sky because it's a very like just open blue sky type of situation. There's no precipitation in the sky. Mm-hmm. Mel, um, Mel Gibson in Mad Max and Road Warrior, and not so much uh, Thunderdome. 
is one of the biggest and how much I consumed these films growing up, consider my age and when they came out, is one of the biggest reasons why I talk about the separation between art and artist. Mm. Because he's a shitbag. Mad Max is a shitbag, and I would not want to sit down and have a beer with that. Well, guy. Well, Mel Gibson is a shitbag. Yeah. What did Mad you Max think has I his said? problems? No. Well, no, Mel but, Gibson, I, but I hear what you're saying. Mel Gibson is a shitbag, and I wouldn't want to have a beer with that guy. But the art of Mad Max and Road Warrior and that visual style and that post-apocalyptic well, kind he, of yeah, a lot of what know, makes those films work isn't necessarily him, although he's part of it. Sure, but yeah. So but fa- George Miller. Fast forward to the year that this came out. Thirty years between Thunderdome and this, when we've got all of the advances in digital and 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 practical, and George Miller's career, which gives him more money to execute the budget that he wants to. Yeah, because everyone saw Happy Feet too and was like, we need to give this guy another. R-rated. Well, no, he just made so movie. much money that he could say, "Give me a green light on whatever." Well, I he had, to do. and it, yeah, he had had this project sure. ready to go. He yeah. he wanted to make this film you could years take, and years. ago. You could take this film and push pause at any moment, and you are seeing a gorgeous image. Truly. This movie is incredible cinematography, hmm. incredible score and soundtrack incredible acting from Charlize Theron, who's a full-blown star before we even get started with this thing. Yeah. and uh, The reason why they gave Tom Hardy Venom, and that's just a piece of crap. <laughs> this film, so don't, from don't top to bottom, this. left to right, reverse, forward, all of it. If we did a bracket, maybe we can in After Hours, of the best action films of all time, this is getting way deep into the like final semifinals. I think it's like top five. It is so all time. It I might good, it, and, and on some days it might be the best because yeah. it is so impressive. I mean, I, when we talked episodes and episodes ago, I should have looked up what the number of that one was when we were like sharing some of blockbusters, right? When we were talking about blockbusters, we all picked a favorite blockbuster. I believe it was when we did Jaws. Mm, um, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That, that was a good episode. It's the yeah. summer blockbuster walked on memory lane. I yeah. think it was when we were stuck at home. It was. Too. Yeah, so it was like one of those like, hey, what were summer blockbusters? But we all named our favorite. And for me, I picked Mad Max Fury Road and I meant it. With all my heart, I still do, and I got called out on it at the time as like that was a, a, a trick choice or like there were, there was something shifty about it that shouldn't really qualify. But in terms of budget, in terms of scale, in terms of it being spectacle driven, released yeah. in the summer, this I remember this being like a really exciting film to see on the big screen in a way that very few others are. The production design on this, right? Da- da- I mean, hold on before you proceed, David. If I gave you shit, I apologize. I was wrong. <laughs> And that was episode 99. Thank you. Um, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It does not feel like that long ago. No, it doesn't, does it? Um, But it's amazing to to watch this and think about all the work that went into the costumes in this. the, The vehicles, all the practicals. It's insane when you look at the level of detail. The Citadel itself, the way it's all laid out. It's just mind blowing. Uh, each vehicle, what they did David. Each vehicle is real. Well, no, but you could push pause and look at a vehicle, mm-hmm. and they've got half of a VW Bug on the back yeah. on the back end, and soldered onto a yeah. right, and a high rise uh, lift on the back, but but not this part, and skulls here, 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 and here. It, art direction here, uh, it, it, chef's so, kiss times five. Uh, do you know how this movie was written? 
I, pen on paper or computer? Storyboard. Oh, okay. It was written entirely in storyboard. I so had this thought people, while I was watching people would yes. come into this room as they were like getting closer and closer to production, and there were thirty five hundred panels on the walls mm-hmm. that was the film. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now let's build all this stuff, right? And like uh, June's uh, uh, Joe Dawarski's Dune. Same situation. Yeah, except he actually had the budget to pull it off. Except he actually had to do it. I think I said June's Dodowarski, and then I caught myself. (laughs) It's all right. Uh, We were just talking about gin, so I get it. Um, But I mean, you know, I so I watched this movie again. I watched it. This probably the this is the second time this year I've watched this movie. Watch it again. I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, this is just fucking crazy to look at. I'm like freaking out at like all of every time I watch this movie, like it grows more and more in my esteem and I become more and more impressed by it every single time. And I knew that there was a lot of practical effects. I didn't get around to it and I I meant to look it up, but I know there's like some, there was some kind of thing, some trick to the editing that made everything look then that kind of like sped up Mm. way that it's, that it looks, you know, there was some kind of trick to the way that they shot it and then how, uh, she edited it. It's I think it's George Miller's wife that edits his movies. Yes, um, right. They've been married since the nineties. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, so this movie ends. Credits. I immediately go to YouTube and I'm just like Fury Road making of. Right. What can I find? Right. What'd I you find, find a thirty minute little send that to me thing um, that was probably on the Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah. And I watch it and. I'm, my mind is reblown over again because I like you. You can watch the movie and someone can tell you like, man, you got to see this action movie. It's crazy. All the effects are practical. People really did this stuff, and you're watching it and you're like, fuck, that's crazy that somebody actually did that. But it isn't until you see it without the color grading and right. So the, I mean, so the, they've manipulated the frame rate constantly throughout the film so that he could get it to play back at the rate that he wanted certain images to play back. So that it was rarely 24 frames a second, in, okay. especially in the action sequences where he would slow things down enough so that he felt the audience could be able to take it in, which might be a very small amount, yeah. but still like has that herky-jerky because it's like constantly going back and forth between yeah. these. Yeah, Interesting. Um, I knew that there was something that they had done. But, right. uh, yeah, but so it's, it's, it's once you're watching some of this stuff... Uh, not color graded, not edited, um, just like a camcorder footage of like the guy on the pole or like the sequence where that guy, um, uh, you know, says, he says, witness me. And he takes those yes. two thunder sticks and he jumps on the buzzard, which is like a car with a bunch of spikes on it. And like watching that guy actually do that and watching them stop him right before he hits those spikes watching the stunt driver uh, flip the war rig at the end when they're in the race back to the Citadel yeah. and he you know, gets it stuck in that canyon or whatever. Right. Like, a guy did that and he was able to crash that car in the exact way that they wanted, that fucking yeah. mm-hmm. semi, in the exact way that they wanted him to do it. Advance the story, yeah. And get out of it and walk away. Right. Like, it's crazy watching this and like, the, the uh, one of the guys that's on, that, that was on the special effects like stunt coordinating team or whatever was on the Mad Max team as well uh-huh. and this was his last movie i wish i remembered his name but he they didn't like he it's a, like almost like a throwaway line at the end of this little making of where he was just like 
it was a good way to go out. And I was like, go out. And then he was like, it's time to let the young guys take over. And I was like, wait, this was this guy's last movie. Like, that's crazy. Cause yeah. what a fucking way to go. I mean, really just going out on top, my oh, drop, yeah, getting out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I said something, David, and you corrected me and you were correct to do so. Cause I was going to bring this up. The, the action does stop. And that's when we get to hear the characters talk to one another. And we get to understand why Furiosa left to begin with. And she mm-hmm. took all of his concubine. These are his wives. W- women that he impregnated to continue his fucking maniacal whatever he was up to. His kingdom. But they, they encounter Furiosa's family that she was, I guess, kidnapped from? Is that what we're to have believed? Yeah, it seems like. And what they're trying to do, away from the Citadel, this place where he has control of water pumped from uh, underground, but holding it back to keep the population, you know, down and in, in, and dispensing it in, in the most control. wasteful way possible. The most course. inefficient distribution I, I mean, every <laughs> when I saw that in the theater the first time, when I watch it again, I'm always just like appalled. I'm like, right. you son of a bitch. Right. Just, just yeah, hand out for that gallons. alone. Yeah. Not to mention all the other terrible infractions. Furiosa's family that she encounters later in the film, they're all about trying to plant seeds, heirloom seeds, and like create food for themselves. Yeah. That comp- uh, coupled with the femininity well, of the of the offspring that he has planted uh, to yeah. continue whatever, if you will, right? Them all together, it's this beautiful picture of like femininity in a masculine-driven action world that I thought. I mean, go it takes yeah, it, no, takes, it takes it next level. It, it's it's a statement for sure, yeah. and coming into a franchise as. Male dominated sure. as it had been, although well, Thunderdome, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, here you <laughs> you have it really. Don't, don't let that just go by. And about face, good. I mean, I think one of the the few criticisms I heard when this film came out was like, well, it's not really a Mad Max film. Mad Max is like a supporting character, ultimately. You yeah. know what like, I mean? Yeah, he is. Um, and he's I'm a like, good supporting character. He's great. I think it's more like a buddy film, ultimately, <laughs> with yeah. him and Furiosa. I, I don't think without Mad Max, they could not have succeeded. So that's why it's the Mad Max film. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. You're right. And and But it's definitely a team effort at a certain point. Sure. They, they, they no, no doubt. They benefit from each other's presence. Gained mutual respect right, over time, right. sure. Um, but, but it is funny when you think about what it does to kind of flip. I can think of very few. I mean, I feel like it's kind of what some of the Star Wars stuff was trying to do, but totally landed poorly and got kind of muddled. Everything about those movies landed poorly. But take a genre that it, or not a genre, a franchise that had been very much dominated by males. A genre too, I mean. Yeah, for sure. But the the franchise itself and and try to undo some of that or, or push it in a different direction. And, I love this film because it totally, it doesn't even give you much room for criticism. Like I say, I remember a few people bemoaning the fact that Mad Max didn't have as much of a role in the film as it, like he should have been the central figure, it's his film. Um, yeah, you missed the but, pulse. But God, you're, you're, you're dumb. Like if, if that's your takeaway from this film, if you, you are about, so oh, If you think about much his rise the from prisoner yeah. to savior. yeah. Come on, that's, yeah. that's 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 false criticism, and that those people shouldn't be your friends anymore. But also, they were never my friends. <laughs> but also, I I remember when I saw this movie for the first time, I wrote it off from the previews. I was like, this is this looks dumb, right. I, just mindless 
car, a bullshit, failed stab at re- um, of 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 resurrecting some twenty thirty year old thing. I, I just yeah, I just thought it was going to be like mindless car chases and stunts or whatever. Wait, but um, you like Fast and Furious? Why? I, 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 car stunts. I, I I wasn't a big Fast and Furious guy at the time. Oh, okay. uh, this is pre- wow. I mean, I liked the originals, but I I wasn't. You hadn't come around to. I hadn't, he hadn't around, been baptized yeah. in the waters of Vin Diesel. I hadn't come yet. around to. I was, you know, I was still kind of, I was a little snobby back then. Um, but a friend of mine dragged me to the theater. I was like, wait, that was fucking sick. Like, that was so cool. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, it is kind of odd that it's called Mad Max, though, because it's really about her. <laughs> but this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. And every time I see it, I'm like, Mad Max is a little more... Oh, he's there. He's then there. I then I initially thought I think it's I think it's the I think it's jarring for people to go into a Mad Max movie where, where Tom Hardy is playing Mad Max and then to see him get like equal screen time with another character. Yeah. Cuz when you think of the titular character in a film, you think they're going to be on screen or like the center of the action of the plot or the narrative 80 85% of the time mm-hmm. and he's I feel like it's closer to like 50 50 with Furiosa. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is there anything that Shirley's Theron can't do? No, no she, she certainly does incredible. this. No. I mean, and she's incredible in this film. Incredible. They, they talk about it in the making of uh, little docuette. What, what's the short featurette? Featurette, that, that whatever. That uh, behind the scenes. They just talk about how like good she is at like the fight choreography uh throughout the whole thing yeah just like how great like a physical yeah actress she is yeah and you see it i mean like you know she's got to play with one hand and like has this whole crazy thing going on and i mean i also like the escalating it never it you've already thought well, they can't show me more than this, and then they do. They and then can. they do because and here come the, the guitar you, you guy. You talked about the guys on the pole. <laughs> yeah, but the guitar guy is at the very beginning of that. Like we're leaving, and we have to have the guitar guy. And he comes back later. He, yeah, he does, he does. But like the the pole guys that you talked about, yeah. they, they come up in like way third act. Yeah, yeah. and I mean you see them in the beginning, so but they don't. But they they don't start escalating yeah. action here. It never gets boring because he's always showing you something new. And then they're like fighting. It's, they're actually like actually fighting on the cars. Yeah, uh, you know, well, other, especially as the stakes are ratcheting up. The closer they get to the citadel, they've got to pull all of the stops to stop this because mm-hmm. they're about to bring down my entire empire. Yeah, and they just escalate the entire time and when she rips a morton joe's mask off that shit is hard as fuck it really is so hard every time every time i'm like i know it's gonna happen and it happens i'm like when they pull zoe kravitz out and you're like oh no Mm -hmm. you know when they pull him out oh no how how is it gonna put be put back together and it is so satisfyingly they didn't talk about zoe kravitz but i know tom hardy got strapped to that fucking pole like yeah he had to do it and yeah. like he was talking about how much he really didn't want to do it and then he got there and he was like get on hey. <laughs> but that's probably one of the reasons one of the ways that they uh tweaked the editing and the film speed when, was they, they they probably filmed everything slowly and then ratcheted up the speed that's the only thing i could think of over i mean over they're again. driving 
50 to 60 kilometers an hour the whole time. Did you say kilometers? Because this is America. Yeah, well, you know, they're Australian, so. Okay, so tell me how many miles per hour that I'm is. I'm not doing that conversion. Well, you said kilometers. <laughs> because that's what they said in the making of thing. But you don't even know if that's good or bad. I know it's pretty fast. Is that 120 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour? It's like 45. We'll answer that question on After Hours. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they're going at good sp- That's pretty fast, oh, yeah. you know? It's, yeah, and, yeah. like, they showed all the rigging and stuff. And, like, yeah. the, I mean, just the crazy shit they had to do to get a camera to move just as fast as everything else. Sure. Uh, one of the things that is kind of, like, so there's not a lot of CGI, but there's a lot of compositing. Uh, like, when that guy, you know kills himself or whatever with thunder sticks jumping on the car. Like mm-hmm. they filmed him doing that and then they filmed the car blowing up and they put the images on top of each right, other. Right? Right. And they did that when Mad Max is on the pole and there, he's like almost having his head dragged against the ground. Like mm-hmm. that was, yeah. they were static when that was filmed. Like the people, like right. he was really that close to the ground, but they weren't moving. And then they put it all together. Right. But like most of it is that, I mean, I, uh, you know, some, I, the, the most impressive part about this practical special effects to me is how George Miller was able to actually create a giant tornado in a huge cloud of shrapnel. <laughs> like that, making that real was incredible. Mm. Great film. Visually stunning, if nothing else. If you don't like this, that was movie, like the only CGI in the movie. Not visually <laughs> stunning. You got to give him that. I you got to allow him that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, that, that it's like, okay, you got to make that CGI. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's not safe to fuck with the weather that much. No. But he All would right. have. We've he seen would it have done. for filmmaking. Well, I don't want to detour us away too quickly. But David, we might be able to talk about this beer for 15 minutes. This thing is interesting as hell. It, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's got a lot going. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's intense. Uh, it, it's very, it was more acidic than I was expecting when I, when I started drinking it. I'm not going to disagree. Definitely get the pineapple. They're saying orange, coconut, yeah. pineapple. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's just a lot. I mean, I drank it all. I drank my portion. I drank it and I drank it quickly. A rum barrel aged imperial fruit and sour. Yeah, it was kind of hot and boozy. The that, fruit that's... is uh, orange, pineapple, uh, coconut puree. Hmm. I brought it. Yeah. I don't want to like then oversell it to like, you know, sure. justify the thing that no, I brought. No, but the, what it, be be honest about what I want to go think. to College Station and get another box. <laughs> and then when certain people come over, I want to be able to say, "Let me pour you something really really interesting." Yeah. If you're in College Station, Texas or nearby, Run to the H E B and grab a box. I bet, this I is Martin we, House, I right? We have Where, where's Martin House? I don't. Martin They're House. We we buy yeah. Martin House locally, right? But I'm. I mean, no, and I don't know that we got this. I'm, I, I'm not saying. I did not that. see that in my. But I'm just saying anybody in the Dallas area or whatever sure. may have this on. There. This is really good. Now, if you're listening from parts north of of Texas in America. I don't know how you're going to get your hands on this, but if you've got a mule network and you've got a little like list mm-hmm. that you're you kind of, you know, definitely put this on it just for the sake of, I've never seen these words together. Rum, barrel, aged, fruited, sour. I've never heard of that before. I, I mean, I feel like I've heard a few. I, we, I don't think we've had one don't on the show. Don't try to outdo me, David. I'm not trying to outdo you. 
<laughs> I'm just saying, there's nothing new under the sun. No, but th- this is a rare concoction. I tried I'm, a pickle beer one time, a long time ago. You tried ago, a few pickle and beers. And I thought to myself, there is something new under the sun. Now they're putting pickle in everything. Yeah, <laughs> that quickly happened. But once upon a time, yeah. that was new. Yeah. Uh, and I. But what I'm going to say is I, I think you're right. I highly encourage people to seek this out. I enjoyed drinking what I did. I think there's something a little bit imbalanced about it. It, it hmm. like the ideal version of it. I think could be dialed in a little bit more if I had more of the coconut, a little less of the acidic pineapple. Okay. Get, okay. Give me like a slightly sweeter overall. I think I'd probably have come away feeling like, ooh, this was a home run. This is really good, and at nine point. What was it? Nine point one, point two. They took it to the hundredth place. That's hefty. Yeah. That's hefty. So nice. be careful, folks. If you go for the uh, Castaway Painkiller, um, it's intense, much like Mad Max Fury Road. But for the right audience at the right time, I think this could go really well. Martin House, I'm going to say he did a good job, no matter what Dave Kearney says. Right. <laughs> Just be Joe's on one today. Yes, he, he is. I can't wait for after hours. I got some stories for you guys. I I was talking to David in the shop uh, on Friday, and I thought I was going to have better stories for this after hours oh. than I It do. was a dud? It was just pretty normal. Well, the dud will be a story. We'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the great thing about this podcast is that the conversation doesn't end when the podcast ends. It continues on social media and various other places. You can find us wherever you social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com is our home base where you can find all sorts of great things, such as uh, curated selections of our episodes based on theme, director, yada, yada, yada. We're about to get into All Horror October. So, like, for instance, there is a collection of all of our All we're Horror October. We're a month October. away. We're a month away. There's a collection of all of our All Horror October episodes there's collections based on director there's you can find a curation of like our nick cage episodes that we do all that kind of stuff uh you can also find a link to our patreon patreon.com slash podcast where you can financially support the show helps out a great deal um and five dollars a month gets you bonus episode every single week that's what i was trying to say there's also a link on our website to the discord where we're talking about all sorts of stuff great community of people over there on the discord everyone's real nice come have a good time and uh last but not least some merch that you can get uh some great designs by our buddy jake uh are up there tpublic.com slash user slash beer and a movie uh shirts stickers hoodies mugs whatever your heart desires. Uh, so go check that out as well. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. really helps the algorithm do what it do and put us in front of uh, you know more beer and movie lovers. It also helps you to be the first to know whenever we drop new episodes and you get to hear them before all your friends and be the coolest person in your friend group. Uh, this has been another high-octane episode of Beer in a Movie Another mystical episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. There's no story about wishing that is not a cautionary tale. 